Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good, great, grand, wonderful. No yelling in the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I'm bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFour in the Duck's House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me on the other end of the line, Bill Cooksey, Jeff Foles. Guys, now, Bill, you've been in a um, at the National Trap Shoot. And Jeff, you've been at Rogers. I got both of those That's right. That's yep. right. That's right. At, at, at the Ames Grand uh, for me, which is the Scholastic uh, uh, National Championship uh, that they have up there in Sparta, Illinois. Three miles of trap fields. Wow. Good night. <laughs> it, it's pretty impressive when you pull up and kind of realize the scope of the place. It is monster. It's a monster down there. They they have uh, twenty seven banks of or four banks of twenty seven fields. So four times twenty seven. What's that? One hundred and one hundred and eight trap fields. Yeah, that's crazy. Just crazy. I'd like to want to be the one selling uh, blue rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's for sure. Oh, uh, so a little bit, little little Bill. I don't want to call him little Bill because he's he's a man now. But he he did real well, right? He did. I mean, he, it was not his best, you know, shooting ever. But he he was solid um, and, and held it together. He ended up uh, in eighth in his in his uh, junior gold division. You know, they break them out by age and by their averages and that sort of thing. Uh, he was dealing, he had his wisdom teeth all extracted about a, uh, two weeks before, so he hadn't been able to practice, and he was still a little swollen up and hurting, and uh, I'm going to give him a little bit of a break on his uh, on what he shot. Uh, he's not giving himself much of one, but he was uh, he was behind the eight ball and still came through and did well. And that's his last one, last event for him, unless he shoots in college. So, Bill, when they do this, do they... Do, do they have a certain, they all have the same shot, shell, whatever they have to do, or you can bring your own? What's the deal with that? You you have to use factory ammo um, in competition. Mm-hmm. You can't shoot reloads. And they right. do have parameters um, as to how much shot, what size shot, and what the speed is. The, most, com- the most common trap load would be an ounce and an eighth of either seven and a half or eights. Mm-hmm. And or not a, yeah, an ounce and an eighth, and at 1,145 feet per second. That is the right. most common trap load. Right. 
So what is what is that? What's your boy shoot then? Double A's or something, or what's he shoot? He shot double A's there. Typically in practice, mm-hmm. you know, we'll use uh, a little a little cheaper shell, but but you still want to stay, mm-hmm. you know, with that same speed. Yeah. That's the most important thing in practice sure. is be sure. shooting the same speed. Um, but we had all of our team. We used an NRA grant. Um, they're they're great working with with the school shooters, mm-hmm. and, and we got an NRA grant. And on ours, we just got all the kids uh, a case of double A's for the state championship and the national championship. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Bill, what was it like walking out off the field for the last time? Uh, did it did it hit him or you? It, it hit me more than him right then. Um, you know, just like graduation, it, it's I didn't see it coming, but it was really emotional for me. Um, and with this deal, you know, for four years, we've been eight months of the year, every Tuesday, every Thursday, and a whole lot of weekends. So it's been a you know a whole lot of time together doing this, and to know it's over was like wow. Um, but then he a little later, it, it hit him. And how old is he, Bill? He's 19, turned 19 the end of June. I got you, headed for college. That's right. He'll be leaving. He's moving in at Mississippi State on the 17th. There you go. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, Jeff, tell me a little bit about, before we get back into the story, tell me a little bit about Rogers this past weekend. Tell me who. Did you, you judge? You judge the competition, yes, sir. right? Yeah, he has me judge. Uh, years ago when this first started, Bill and I was talking about before, uh, they'd call me years ago and wondered how they could get the best, biggest, most paying out contest in the world. And, and uh, we had a big discussion between, it used to be Fred Job was over all this, you know, it worked for Rogers for years, he works for Dakota now, great guy. And Steve Rogers, and, and uh, money wasn't an object to him, you know. And um, they got a lot of manufacturers they could give into and stuff. So they said, well, how can we do this? We don't know anything about this. So ever since that time, uh, I said, well, I've got lights, timers, you know, we run our own contest for years. My daughter run computers and all this. I'll get my son-in-law to help, whatever. So long story short, since the very first one, several years ago, we ran that contest for them. Well, last year, uh, they inherited this kind of kind of throat on the back. Stuttgart called them and said, hey, we've got two or three states, Kansas and, and uh, Missouri State and four regional contests. We're going to, we want like to give you to put on. Well, their weekend always with the war was so packed busy that Saturday and Sunday. I mean, time was in essence because every caller in the country came back. So, because it was such a big payout. So now he's got all this on his hands, don't know what to do. So last year he said, maybe I'll put the goose on another weekend before. So that's what he did. It's a one day event and he did it again this year. And then my kids couldn't run the deal on their time. So, James Keith Foggy's got a uh, equipment, and Mike Eddy, and they come down and they run that. Um, they run that one, and then we go back this week and do that. But the goose was all it was this weekend, but it's a big one. And you know, we was talking the other day about you know not many callers in this. I think there was thirty, I don't know, thirty four, thirty five, something. May I don't know. I'm probably got thirty something uh, callers in the open, which is a Grand National Opens, and uh, that paid uh, four thousand dollars. And then they paid ten places. I know Cole got fifth, fifth, and he won five hundred bucks. Now if he got tenth, he got two fifty. Wow. You know, so yeah, so it's a, it's a big deal. Seconds two thousand. You know, so there's a lot of money. And then 
Um, so Robbie Iverson won it again, and I think Trevor Shanahan was second. Hunter was third. Oh, gosh. I hate to leave anybody out. I can't remember who it was. I know Cole got fifth there, and it was right on down the line. Kyle Jones, he was in the mix there somewhere. And uh, so it was all world champions down to Cole, you know, and, and that was, so it was a cool, cool cut. Then they had a Grand National World Live, uh, Live Goose, and I think there was 30-some in that, and it was uh, there was almost that many uh, two-man world, two-man live. Plus they had all the kids and rookies and all this. That was all day Saturday. So, yeah, I judged all day. And uh, very, very good contest. They run a very, very good uh, contest. And uh pay out a ton of money and then rogers has a big sale and people in and out of there you know like just decoys and shells it's ridiculous you can't beat their prices on anything you know so it's a big event hi well Well, enough about calling contest (laughs) yes sir last week when we left it you had gotten out you stopped at a hotel motel to take a shower headed to the halfway house today before you go into it I think it's one of the most important parts of the story. This is the reason this whole story really, really piqued my interest, what we're going to talk about today, because it affects all of us. So I'll let you start from there, though, Jeff. Well, I will say this. After that, that, that part right there was uh, been the toughest part of this podcast, because that was the toughest part thing I ever went through in my life right there. And uh, that was the hardest one of all these 18, 19 ones we've done that, that for me to even talk about. But I I took deep breaths and just did it. But, uh, yeah, it was a tough one. Um, so, yeah, but I'll start back with the story. Where was that? So uh, I got picked up, pouring down rain. I didn't care if it was lightning, thunder, nothing. nothing I mean, any, anything was awesome. Put my head down the truck, didn't want to see it more, and out we went. And I had five hours to get from Marion, Illinois to Springfield, Illinois. And that's, you don't have, that ain't a lot of time to jack around. So, and there, they'll let you, they'll take you by train. They'll send you up by train or a bus. I think it's a bus. Take you by bus um, to to the halfway house. Or if somebody wants to come get you, you can have somebody come get you. So a lot of these guys ain't got nobody left. They've been in there so many years, you know. So, anyway, so we took off and, and then stopped to get gas. I remember, and I couldn't wait. That was the first soda, anything I'd had that, you know, after we went to the hotel and I cleaned up and took a regular shower. And that was just like heaven for me, you know. And then uh, we take off and go up to, uh, you know, the truck stop, got some gas and go on. Uh, and I can remember somebody almost sideswiped us and then killed us. I thought, I made it through all this. Surely we're not going to kill on the road getting out of here. So. We went on up, and my buddy said, where do you want to eat? And really, you're not even supposed to do that. But um, I said, dude, I don't care. So I remember we went to a, the only thing was there. There used to be a steakhouse, this place in Springfield, I remember. And I, was, I said, that's where I was wanting to go. I said, no. Well, it was closed. And then so there was a Cheddar's there, and I never ate once. went in there, and, man, I loaded up. And I hadn't ate for a month, you know. And so, I mean, it made me sick afterwards. But anyway, then they took me to the halfway house. And... Uh, for you, for a lot of people don't know what a halfway house is. It's kind of a rehabilitation thing after you get out. So they just don't dump you on the street after you've been in there. Because it's, it might have only been 13 months for me. Some guys have been, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you know. And, and I had to spend a month there in a halfway house. But, but a lot of them have to spend a year, you know, to get acclimated back into a work situation and all this. Wow. And they have to go find a job and all that. Because so, uh, it's tough. It was tough to drive. It was tough to do anything. So, 
I get out at this place and uh, went in. You meet with a counselor there, and I'm like, I think I'm going home on this home confinement thing. And no, uh, dude, you can't. Now, I don't know why they let you out of Friday because you can't do that until Tuesday, and you can't even get out of here. You're locked down until Tuesday here. You know, you can have visitors or whatever. So I said, dude, anything's better. So I go in there, and that was, it was like going to the spending a week at the Marriott or somewhere, you know, or Taj Mahal rather than where I was at. So I didn't care what it was. But it was guys just like me. Uh, there was four of us in a room. Uh, you could watch TV. Uh, they had their own little uh, restaurant deal, cafeteria, where you went down and ate, you know. And you, and, and uh, so I made right. remember the first meal, I went down there, and the guy looked at me, and he said, you've been in a hole, ain't you? The cook. I'm like, oh, yeah, how do you know? He goes, you're skin and bones. He said, I, he said, I can tell. He said, he said, you tell me anything you want, I'll cook it for you. And he did. I mean, this guy fattened me right up real quick. You know, he's giving me stuff to eat. So, so I spent the week hey. in there, and my daughter, go ahead. Jeff, Jeff, when you say, Jeff. number one, I think that Halfway House has a such a a negative connotation to it when you when it, when it said, but it really isn't mm-hmm. at all. But when well, you say are. that they're when you, when you say that they're rehabilitating you, can you are mm-hmm. you going to get into that process in a minute? But yeah, they're okay. I, I just want to yeah. make sure. So they t- so the guy tells me the least you can amount of time you can spend in the halfway house is thirty days. So I've got. He said you're in a you're, in thirty days. You got to spend thirty days there. Like, oh man, what do I got to do? You know? He said, well, after Tuesday, if you do you have a job, yes, sir. Where do you work? Work for myself. Got a job down here. Blah 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 blah. Are you get a paycheck. Yeah. Well, you got to pay back fifteen, twenty percent, or something of whatever you take home back to the halfway house. Which I didn't care. I'd pay him a whole check just to get out of the place. See? So, can you drive? Well, yeah. Tuesday, here's what's going to happen. Have you got a vehicle? Yeah. So I had my buddies bring my truck up and um, leave it for me. So Tuesday, he said, "Here's what we're doing. We're going to the shop." So he follows me to my shop and. Uh, checks the place out, make sure you've got a real job and what's going on. He talked to my daughter and all that. And okay. Uh, the rule is you be out of here. You can leave here at seven and you got to be back by five. And so when you leave, you check, sign out where you go. And I can't, I said, well, what if I got to deliver uh, decoys or something? You know, can I drive around within 99 miles, you drive whatever, get where I'm at. You know, I, I wanted to go out and jack around a little bit. So, See my buddies and that. So anyway, uh, he said, no problem. Just be back here at 5. So 5 o'clock, you come in. They breathalyze you. And uh, in you go. And within, you eat if you want to eat. Or you can check back out. And uh, you got to be back in by 9 o'clock. So my day consisted of Monday morning. I thought, you know, I'm up at up at 5. You couldn't sleep in everywhere yet. But anyway, 5, 5.30 in the morning, I'm up and down and getting something to breakfast or whatever. And, I'm the first one out signed out and out the door in that truck, you know, and I'd head for a Starbucks, man. I could not wait to get me a regular cup of coffee instead of hot water and an instant coffee, you know. So I'd go do that and head for the shop and jack around there, play with my dogs, see my family, do whatever, you know, and eat a home-cooked meal and get to go to my own home and house and all this. And, man, it was, you know, it was just like I was in heaven, you know. And then, But it was... You know, I had, I went to go to work, get a paycheck, and do all that there, and it's just getting you back in a society. It's just like driving a truck. I jumped out in that truck after 13 months. This don't sound like much, but very long, but you, you, you've been in something like that there where you're completely away from civilization, and you go hop in a pickup truck, you're kind of, and you're on probation. 
you can't speed, you can't run a stop sign, you better use your blinker, no violations or you're back in there. So that 30 days you're going to get is going to be 30 days back in, in a, you know, in prison. So you make no mistakes because you're on edge now. You're driving 55, you're driving 50, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're everything you're doing right. So, uh, so it's a little, I see why they try to get you acclimated back into civilization. You ain't seen regular, you ain't been to a gas station, you ain't got anything to eat, a restaurant, you, you know, everything's different for, you know, for a while until you get yourself acclimated back into it. And then at nighttime, you go back in and you're back in a nut house again, you know, for a few hours. But uh, at least it was, you know, it was, it was all good. So that was my 30 days. So I do that six days a week. And then on Sunday, uh, I would go uh, I would go to church or Springfield every Sunday morning. And then uh, I could have the afternoon off and go do whatever, you know, and rode motorcycles. I did whatever. As long as you're back there you know, at five o'clock. So, so, uh, that was my life. And so every night, you know, I went to the gym there in Springfield, went to a regular gym instead of that gym we had down there, you know, and I thought I was, man, this is awesome. You know, I'm in Arnold Schwarzenegger's place here after being in that, in the backyard of somebody's alley, you know, chained up. So yeah, it was fun doing that. And I'd eat, eat restaurants and stuff. And, you know, and all. so yeah, it was, a. Uh, and I'm, and I, as bad as you hated going to the halfway house, it was the best thing that happened to me. It did, it did acclimate me back, you know, and, and kept me on the right track and everything without getting in trouble. I mean, I could have come out of there and just got in trouble right, I went right back, you know. So uh, it, there's, there's a lot of things that helped there, you know, with that. So And then oh, well, after see, that, go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. I, well, I, I mean, as you said, you were in a much better position than I would guess most of the guys who get out of prison. Right. And that you hadn't been away for you forever, but relative to other people not all that long you had your own business your family's still close to you your friends are still close to you but um i, I was going to ask I, so you feel like that halfway house especially for those folks is probably a uh, one of the better things we do in criminal justice oh, or? by far it's it's it, and it has to be i mean it's and there's a lot of these halfway houses now i was very very fortunate they sent me to springfield illinois and the reason i did that's where my case was is out of springfield had my, had i lived 20 miles south of where i did my case would have been in east st louis federal court and that's where the halfway house would have been and as we all well know that's not the nicest place in the world down there so I was very fortunate to be in Springfield. So ain't everybody got it as good. And then part of what you do is you just don't get to go to the halfway house and check out that thing and go jack around all day. If you don't have a job, you better come back showing that you put applications in. And I don't care where it was. And it's really tough for these guys because, the, you know, I was the, I was the, uh, I was the, the my super minority. I had, I had misdemeanors, you know, so, those guys are felons, and there ain't many jobs out there for felons, you know. So they're out there digging and scratching and scraping, trying to find anything, you know. And uh, and some of them take take advantage of the system, you know. And and uh, you know they take advantage of it and go out and make two or three and have a buddy sign something for them, like you're looking for a job or something. They don't ever do anything; they just hang around, you know. So you know there was some, there was one funny thing that happened in there I'll have to laugh about you know you know you heard me say you breath take a breathalyzer as you go in well in prison you take a breathalyzer all almost every night somebody does they'll pick out five guys well guards are lazy so they'll pick out five guys that they know is going to pass it so 
So I, I got breathalyzer almost every night because I'm guys do I wouldn't drink it. So anyway, they do this at the halfway house. But they check you coming in, right? They don't strip search you. They don't do anything. You just check, you know, breathalyzer you coming in the door. So one night, one of the guys that was in our, our room there, he was he was a guy, uh, oh, he was about my age. He was nuts. I mean, he was burning, and he got him to two or three of them guys, almost got a fight. In this. So this guy don't show up until he comes in the door at 11 o'clock at night. And he is definitely going to jail. He's out of there going to get them no matter what. But he also come in drunk. So he come in drunk. He's, they pick him up. They're going to Sangamon. They got the cops who are coming everywhere to pick him up and put him in the Sangamon County Jail. And they decide to breathalyze. Everybody in there, wake everybody up, and go to the whole halfway house. Twelve more of them went, went to jail with him for drinking inside. They'd bring the booze inside <laughs> and get drunk inside. I watched them do it. They'd laugh. They'd say, don't check us in here. And we sober up. We go out of here time five, you know. <laughs> so they oh, played man. the system, you know. It was it was hilarious. I mean, it's Animal House, you know. But, but yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was quite a deal, you know, and then. And then when you get out um, and you get to go home, you're on probation. So when you leave, you go over to your federal probation officer, and he tells you what to do, what not to do. you got to report to him once a week, and uh, you can't do this. You can't go out of state. You can't do this. Well, at the time, I had a house in Daytona for about 12, 15 years, and he would let me, because I had a house there, he'd let me go to that. But... To travel outside, it's not that if they'll let you, they have to call the state you're going to and see if they'll let you in, you know, if you follow what I'm saying. So he was very, very lenient because I worked in St. Louis and stuff. that we moved to Shoppelberry, let me do that. It was very lenient. But, um, yeah, he is, uh, it was a year of probation, but the end of that wasn't fun either. But um, so, yeah, I went, so I went back, and I was just back to a kind of a normal life, you know, after that. So, but you had a lot of rules. I mean, you couldn't drink, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that, you couldn't, you know, there was just several several rules with it. I guess the, kind of the negative from the public, you know, this has been going on for a while. So, it's not like you were prosecuted with the jail came out and the shock was still there when people saw you. I mean, it mm-hmm. had been in the media everywhere before you reported to to prison. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure that your your life or your your uh, when you were in public, it wasn't really in, any different at that point, was it? Well, after being there 13 months and doing nothing, and you got nothing but time and thinking time and all this, you know. And I thought of nine million marketing ways and do this and do that because I come out of there. You know, like a rat on acid, man. I was ready to jump and go to work and do this and do that, you know. And this is how we're going to bring us back, and this is what we're going to do. And this didn't happen like I thought, you know. And uh, I still was going to shows. And going to us the first couple shows was like, oh, boy, what are they going to say? What's going to say, you know. And uh, that was probably one of the toughest times, you know. But still in this, my biggest thing that bothered me worse than anything, was worse than anything. This is why was I in that hole? I still didn't know the reason why I was in there. And they said I could find out. And that still was, you know, on my mind. What was the whole deal? So your attorney can find this out. So uh, also that prison 
uh, warden I was telling you about was second in command. He told me, he would tell me too, and he basically threw it out there, and I read through it, and then I had to find out for sure. Long story short, we went to shows. I do the shows. I'm back out in public, you know, and and back at my house, and, you know, and life's good, and everything's going good, and I'm traveling shows and doing this and doing that. And the problem was is you had a probation area, and remember when I said, well, if I'd have been 20 miles south of where I was, or I lived, or 10, I think it was 10 miles, I would have went to East St. Louis. Well, also, that was my probation line in Illinois. So I couldn't go past that without permission. Well, my mom and everybody else, all my family was on the other side, all my business, everything I do was on the other side of the line. So I had to have, every time you had to have permission to go do this, you know. It was, it was, that was kind of pain in the butt. But um, anyway... So we fast forward, we were doing all these shows and stuff. So about, mm, I guess it was probably, I got out, and it was a year, about a year, year later, and had an incident happen. And uh, I, I was one month, well, let's, say, let's, let's fall back a little bit. I was, think it was in September. It was in September, and I had to do a show at John Logan College in uh, Southern Illinois. I had, in the meantime of this, I had got a Facebook. I've been out, I've been out of prison like four months, and I got a Facebook request from this guy that was the second command in the prison, the guy that told me all this stuff, you know, about, you know, the guy I was talking to about earlier. And he was the warden. I'm like, why is he? There ain't no way I'm accepting this. You know, this is a trap, you know. Much traps I've been set up, and I ain't getting no more. I ain't requesting. So he finally sent me a private message and said, hey, it was like six or eight months, I guess. And he said, hey, um, man, I know this is just a super bad thing you went through, blah, 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 but I don't work there anymore. I'm retired. I took an early retirement. I'm out of there. And you can't have any contact with any of the prisoners for six months after you retire. And the six months is up. And I always said, you got a bad rap and whatever. And there's some things I'd like to tell you. And I'd like to just meet you because all my buddies know you down here and all this here. And I'd like to meet you sometime. So I still don't talk to him. And so finally, I'm like, oh, I got thinking, I thought this guy knows the answers to all this. So anyway, uh, I accept his deal, and we talked back and forth a few times. We got started where we got, and he starts selling used cars. And my, uh, uh, one of my daughters, somebody needed a car. So anyway, I was trying to get a car off of it, and we talked back and forth. And he bought a bass boat in St. Louis and came to my shop, and, and, it's, and, and I wasn't there, and I missed him again. I had, so I'd really, I had no contact with this guy. So I'm at John Logan at the college, and I'm sitting at the booth. And uh, somebody there at the booth said, hey, some gal come by here want to talk to you. So I said, all right. So, so he said she's going to come back. And said, she's this guy's, I'm not going to say the guy's name, but said, she's his wife. That's this warden. I'm like, oh, cool. So, so she come. so all right, so she comes back. And we get talking. She said, yeah, my son's been uh, turning some calls in high school and jacking with this, you know, and he really likes your stuff. And she was real friendly and nice. And anyway, so long story short, she said, yeah, Tony's golfing, but he like get together with you tonight. And I said, yo, sure. I said, I got a meeting with some guys tonight with this TV show. These were, how about we go here? So, all right. So, oh, sure. We love that place. So we go to that restaurant and guys are going, why are you wanting to talk to this guy? I said, you'll see. So we get there, and the guy wants a picture with me next to my truck. It's all jacked up and all that. We do all the picture thing, and he's my best buddy. He's kind of a boisterous guy, big old boy. Anyway, so I had this meeting, and them guys are set at a table. So we sat down at this other table here, and it's just us sitting there. And Cole, I made sure I wanted Cole there. 
And we're all sitting at this round table, and we're eating, and he's kind of got the conversation. Why did you retire? I couldn't stand that place no more, blah, 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 blah. And, oh, man, bad deal. So we got talking, and we got done eating. I said, all right, I got some questions for you. And he goes, sure, whatever. He goes, I think I know what you're going to ask. I said, yeah. You told me when I was in that hole, you was going to tell me what it was. And you, you let on to be what it was, but I want to know now for sure what was the story. He said, well, <coughs> excuse me. He said, I went to... He said, I was on vacation when it happened. <laughs> Excuse me. I was on vacation when it happened. And he said, I come back and I go, where's Foils? He's in the hole. For what? And they said, he made death threats against somebody on the outside. He did what? He made death threats. Have we got proof of this? And uh said, well, we've got one of the federal witnesses called in, said that he had made death threats against him from the inside so we had to lock him down and we're getting ready to ship him this week to arkansas i think it's fort smith or something i can't remember uh, to a maximum and he goes you're not so do you have where's the proof of this well he just called in said he'd made death threats from inside he goes well how could he possibly have done that i said he made death threats so we got him locked down so he's on you know until we figure this out we're either going to ship him or he's going to see he goes you ain't shipping him nowhere he's staying here and uh, he said, you got no proof. You can't ship him. He can't do this. That ain't even legal. You can't ship this guy without finding proof. We got to, we, you know, go through this and find and get. And that's when they were saying he's under investigation. Remember, that's all they would tell me. So I go, who is this guy? And he just flat told me. He said, Mark Carey. I said, same guy that helped put me in there. He said, yep. I said, so wow. when did you find this out? He said, well, it was an investigation for a long time. And he said, you ain't going to like this part. And I said, well, when did they find out? And he said, about three weeks before you got out. I said, well, why didn't they let me out of the hole and put me back where I was at? Well, if you were so close to getting out, they just left you there. That's how cruel wow. it is. So this is just how cruel wow. this whole thing is. When all they had to do, unlock me, get your stuff, take you out here, put you in that van, send you right back to where you're at. Back to civilization as best as it could be, I could say. You know what I'm saying? They just saved themselves a little bit of hassle. That's exactly what it was. It was easier for them to do that. I guess they're going to show me a lesson. But, but all, I don't think it was that. I think more, it was more so just, you know, ah, we just wait. He's getting out anyway. Just let him go. We'll ship him right out here. Be easier. No paperwork. No nothing. You know, it's probably a ton of paperwork. So no paperwork, no nothing. So I spent another three weeks in there. So I said, well, what? Well, they found out it was all BS, and it couldn't happen. It didn't happen, and so they let you out. Otherwise, they would have shipped you, and you've been locked down for several years. Because, you, you know, that, that's like threatening to kill a federal informant is, like, bad as it gets, you know. And so, and, and here's the thing. You could write letters in there. They go through every letter, incoming and out. They read every one. You can make a phone call in there. They listen in to every phone call you got. Every one. That's what I was going to say. And they do, you can get an email, pay for email, they read everyone in and out. This stuff don't come in, you think they're that stupid for this to happen? So how was this going to happen? I just want to ask him, how did that happen? Don't know. I guess to somebody, a visitor, I could have told a visitor I was going to do this or something or whatever, you know. But the only visitors that I had was my family. That's it. You know, there was no, you know, it was all my people. So it, was, so it wasn't like somebody was going to go back and tell, you know, 
I never said a word like this, you know? And so it was just a deal. So later on, my daughter was having, uh, out having some drinks or something with a bunch of her friends. And one of the friends was part of that family of his. And they said, oh yeah, that didn't like him. Said, oh, he's scared to death. He got out. That's why I did it. Now, you tell me something. Why shouldn't there be a punishment against him? That's been my biggest problem with the whole time. Why wasn't there a punishment against that against him? I just that part drives me nuts. So, yeah. I mean, if somebody accuses something, you go through that kind of crap. There ought to be some kind of punishment. But uh, anyway, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. I, I understand in some cases why they don't, um, such as. You know, rape accusations, and they don't want to inhibit someone from coming forward. And just because they, whoever they informed on, isn't pronounced guilty, doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen. And and you want people to come forward, and that's the whole, as I understand it, the idea behind not uh, typically pressing charges or having charges for someone who makes allegations that don't necessarily are never proven. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? What I'm I, I guess, but that's a pretty harsh, you know. Yeah, I agree. This is pretty I harsh. This is, this, that's a little different than being out here on the street and somebody accuses you of doing something and you go to a, little, right. you know, a couple of lawyers and all this there. It's a, it's a little harsher, <laughs> harsher deal yeah, than I, that, I, you know. I, I'm not You're basic, advocating one way or the other. I just I think that's probably the reasoning yeah. behind it. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get this whole deal. I think, well, you know, why don't they charge him for something? And You know, but, I mean, to me... Go throw him in a hole for 54 days. Probably wouldn't ever do that again, you know. Shouldn't it have so, been an easy investigation, though, Jeff? Excuse me? For them. Shouldn't it have been an easy investigation to figure out if you did do that or not? Well, you're in prison. You find out somebody does something, what are you going to do? You lock his butt down. If he did do that, well, he's getting locked down. So we figured this out. So what if he did? Then he's you got this guy loose out here. Maybe he's got contact with other people. You you shut off all contact, which they did. You know I get why the prison did it. You know I get why they did it after they got the accusation. You know I get why that you know they did that. But the other part of this is why would they be in a hurry? You think I'm the only one in there? There's hundreds of guys down through there. And you think anybody in there's in a hurry to do anything? You think they're in a hurry to turn the fan so it blows some hot air or warm, or at least get a breeze on there? They're not in a hurry to do anything to you in there. You know, it's This is not like out here in the streets. I got to be in here anyway. Yeah, we'll take care of it. Let him sit for a while. You know, I mean, we're, I wasn't top priority by any means. Remember what I told you about? Oh, you guys will tell your lawyer to quit calling here because he ain't got no authority here, you know? It didn't matter how much, what kind of pressure. I think that made it worse. But Probably. Uh, anyway. So that's what, you know, that was the hardest thing in my life over an accusation. And that's probably now, I know now, and it's caused me problems since I have a big, big problem with that uh, now. And I try my best and pray about it every day that, uh, you know, Somebody accuses me of something. I mean, I you didn't do it. I flip out. If I did it, I'll be the first one to admit to you. You know, but man, it's it's made that like way. You know, personal wise, relationship wise, whatever. Being accused, of, it's just you know, it's it really bothers me. So Jeff, after that, two questions. Said, go ahead. Two, two quick questions. One: Did he marry 
end up marrying your ex? And two, uh-huh. have you ran into him since you um, gotten out? And- no, he, no, they didn't get up married. I wish they would. They deserve each other. But um, <laughs> he never did get divorced. <laughs> he never did get divorced. So, you know, whatever. So, uh, no, he never did get divorced. And I have no clue right now what, you know, somebody told me the other day that he's working for the uh, state of Illinois, like DNR department or something at a park down here or something. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Imagine that. Working for, get a job for DNR. Just like my ex-camera dad guy, he got a job for the Illinois DNR. So, imagine that. So, but, but have you crossed paths with him? Yeah, uh, uh, my son has a couple times. He goes here, and goes the other way. But uh, uh, he's kind of, you know, I don't know who's steering clear who, but uh, I don't see him very much. But one time we were at Burlington, uh, Iowa, at a show up there, that big show they have up there. And afterwards, we was down. Bill, you probably ate up there. What, have you been to that show in Burlington? Yes, yes. Been a long yeah, time, though. Yeah, downtown there's a real nice restaurant called The Drake down there. And uh, mm-hmm. we always go down there on Saturday night. I tell them that we sell a lot of stuff, we'll go to The Drake. So we was at The Drake, and there's about eight of us sitting there. You know, Cole and me and all my, uh, you know, a bunch of pro staffers, people help me show us up. I think it was like eight of us. And we're sitting there, and I can, it's a long aisle ways. And I knew him and her were working construction in, up, up there somewhere around that area. But anyway, I'm sitting there at this table getting ready to, you know, we done made our order, and we're sitting there, and I looked up, and I seen her coming, and him right behind her, walking up through there. They're coming in to eat. And I told Cole, I said, Cole had his back to it. He was at the other end of the table, and I said, you ain't going to believe he's walking up behind you. So wow. I'll just say this. It wasn't a very pretty sight in the restaurant. So it was mm. just a argument. And the next thing I know, he was out the door, and she was running her mouth like always, and Big old Brent asking, he just, I think he just kind of said, you best you need to leave now. So it wasn't a good deal. So that's, I met him at a truck or something once along the road. That's you know, very seldom. And I don't know. I don't run into it. Thank God. I don't dare. Mm. So, so anyway, no, I don't, I don't deal with him. I did have, uh, uh, I did have something after this happened. I had right after that happened, it was like in October, that was in September. And I, in October, and I was mad. I was like a month from getting off my probation. And uh, then I was free man, had my gun back, everything, you know. And um, I still had a little time on my hunting thing to go. But anyway, I, I could at least get my gun back. Had a month ago, and was at a local football game. And we were playing the competition, which was where this McGowan guy, this is all public, so I can say their name. So this is where this Tim McGowan guy's boy went to school, the opposite team. I was sitting on the end of the tailgate with all my buddies up there. And anyway, I looked down through there with my binoculars. I looked and I seen him on the sideline. Longer I sat there, the matter I got, the matter I got, and all that. So I just made a trip over to the other sidelines. And uh, anyway, I walked around. And you know how a football game, high school game, where they walk the sidelines, you know, along the fence there, you know. Well, that's yep. what he was doing with a bunch of guys. And they had cars parked up against us. So I seen him standing there. And I, and I didn't know these boys followed me, but Cole and – Three of his buddies followed me over, I guess, thinking something going to happen. So I just stopped there in between, like, halfway up a car and then whatever length it was from there to where he was at. So it was quite a ways away. And uh, I just stopped there and just stared at him. And he just turned around and goes, there ain't going to be no trouble. There ain't going to be no trouble. Well, that led into a big argument, a big screaming match. And then he got into a screaming and then with uh, 
the boys, and then they got one with him, and it was just a big, big screaming match, what it was, and which a well-deserved, always says it was a well, well-deserved butt shoe is all he got. And uh, here come the coach from our side come over there, and here come, and here come the cop from town cop, which I know real well. Anyway, he come over there, and one of my buddies come over there, and anyway, they ended up, he had his mouth running and stuff, and then, of course, he was with all his buddies, and so um, they made him leave. And when I seen all these people coming, I took back, and I went back to the car and back to the tailgate and sat down. I didn't leave. I just went back to the tailgate and sat down. I said, and so my buddies all come back. And I said, what happened to him? So we made him leave. He was going to set these trucks and said, no, you're off this ground. They ran him off the ground. No big deal. So I don't think nothing about it. Somebody made a post on the about the football game or something, about something happened. Wasn't that big a deal. Just a screaming match. Wasn't like a big fist fight or nothing. Or nobody's face-to-face in their nose. And Tuesday, I don't think nothing about it. And one of Cole's buddies was there said, hey, let me talk to your dad. And I saw he said, hey, I just had two gay mores just left my house. I said, oh, what? Oh, man. I said, for what? I said, they're coming looking for you. you. Want to know what happened to that game? I said, no, kidding. I said, yeah. I said, what'd you tell him? I told him I didn't know nothing. So one of the other boys called me. I said, yeah, they came to see him. So what'd you tell him? I told him I didn't know anything happened. So about, I don't know, two days later, I got called from my probation officer. And he said, What's going on? I got two game wardens here in the office telling me matter and heck. Two federal officers telling me that you're causing problems. You threatened a federal witness. You did this. You did that. I go, I didn't threaten him. I just told him the truth. This is what happened. We got a screaming match. I said, there's 50, 50 people. I've seen it. And they run him off. Well, I'm going to dig a little deeper in this right here. And he said, uh, you better be clean on this. Okay. I don't think no more about it. it a week went by. I'm on my way to St. Louis. I had to shop over there. I'm on my way to work. I got a phone call. It was him. Now, I'm almost to St. Louis. St. Louis Springfield a long way. And he goes, where are you at? This was Monday morning, I think. And I said, I'm uh, almost to work. Turning around, come straight to my office. I know now. He goes, don't even stop for gas unless you're out because you better be here. Okay. I said, what's going to happen? What's this about? He goes, you're getting ready to go to court. And he said, when you get here, uh, he said, you have got uh, come to my office. And then you got a court date this afternoon. I go, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, this is no little deal. So I call my lawyer. What do I do? He goes, man, I'm in court cases. He goes, here's what they're probably going to do. He goes, they could throw you in jail for breaking your probation. For, uh, he said, they could do a lot of things. He said, just see what happens. So I get to his office, and uh, he goes, you got a month to go. He couldn't leave it go. I said, well, tempers flared up. You know, I had all this inside. I seen him. And he said, you can't do that. He said, I'm telling you right now, you're going into court today over this. This is not some little deal I'm slapping your hand. You're going to court. you got to go to court. They've done made these these uh, uh, federal game wars want you back in, back in there. Oh, boy. So, all right, so what do I do now? Head over to the courthouse right now, and when you get in, they're going to check you in. I still don't know what you're talking about. I walk over to the courthouse, uh, federal courthouse, went through the screening deal, you know, and went through there. Here come a guy with military boots on, a whole military suit and everything. And uh, uh, it was a uh, U.S. US Marshal officer, whatever it is. I don't know, federal. Anyway, he said, he said, come with me, handcuffed me. Upstairs we went. They fingerprinted me again. Took pictures of your tattoos, all that stuff, photographed you, everything, and locked me in a cell. <sighs> and that was, I don't know, noon or something like that. So you got court date. Luckily, you got court date at 3 o'clock. So... 
he comes about three o'clock, he comes back and, uh, gets me out, handcuffs me and shackles, shackles me with the deal where it goes up to your wrist and down to your legs and all this. And you why he goes, dude, I know this is insane, but you know, that's what we got to do. So we get down to the courtroom and there's just like this all back again, you know? So I went back and sitting there and that, um, judge was the same judge. And he goes, Mr. Foyle, I never thought I'd see you back here again. And I said, well, I didn't either. And he goes, you have your attorney? No, sir. He, he couldn't be here today. He said, well, first thing, unshackle him. He ain't a hardened criminal. He's been here for a duck. Unshackle him. So at least I did that. So standing there, and he, and he chewed me out for a long time. And he goes, here's what's happened to you, Mr. Foyle. I don't never, ever want to. I could put you back in prison. And you could serve another 30 days in there. I could put you over here in jail. There's a lot of things I could do, but I'm not going to do that. He said, hope you learn a lesson, Bishop. I'm going to give you another year's probation because you can figure this out. And you're going to get a fine on this. And when you leave here, I'm going to let you out on your own. I won't ever, ever want to see you again. I said, no, you won't. He said, now go to your probation officers when you leave here. So thank God he let me loose. And I went over there and uh, talked to him. He chewed me out. He goes, I get it. you got to get over this. So they made me go to uh, a counselor, get a counselor. Part of my deal, he made me go to a counselor over this. And it wasn't anger management, but I guess it was, you know, something like this. So I had to go to a counselor, and then uh, I'm home about two days, and now I get a phone call from my attorney, and he goes, you ain't going to believe this one. He said, that wasn't good enough. Now they're filing state charges against you. I go, what? <gasps> He's filing state charges. So I had to go to court over that. Long story short, when this was over, and this guy would not yeah, let up. He kept wait. on these state's attorneys and on his federal, I want him back in prison, I want him back in prison, blah, 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 blah. And long story short, uh, it cost me another year's probation and $4,000. And actually, it was on two probations, one with the state and one there. And once I got off the state, I was like, you know, anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's what it cost me for chewing his butt out. So if you think about messing with the federal witness, you probably better not do that while you're on probation. But it yeah. would have been better to have stayed on your side of the football field. Yeah, it would have. So yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. So I made it through that year and you know and, and whatever. So but uh that's a good lesson to everybody. I mean even if you aren't dealing with uh with what you were dealing with, a lot of times, if you can take a deep breath and stay on your side of the field, you stay out of trouble. Yeah, it was just, it you know, hadn't, here's, you know, I'd been sitting in there, and this was a guy, this was the one that, you know, <clears throat> that, you know, had give his kids guns and took his kid hunting and, you know, and let him guide for me. And even after he found out he'd done immunity, I didn't think he had. And then found out he worked for me a year later. I paid him for another year while he'd done turned over, you know, and then, and then all them years of helping him out, doing things for him, do whatever, you know, we were good friends, you know? So that's why this, you know, that's where this was built up from. I just couldn't believe oh, I'd do that, you know? And, I, I don't, I, I don't blame you a bit. I don't blame you a bit. All this, I just got done doing all this time with all that time sitting there thinking about this, you know? So, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so, so between, and then, then on top to make this, make this even worse, who do you think he buddied up with? Who was his best buddy and started blowing his calls as soon as this deal, I went away. He buddied up with this Carrie. You know, and uh, and wearing all this stuff, burning all my, you know, uh, boy. and that was just everything to 
stick the sword a little deeper, you know. So yeah. So yeah, I've been. Uh, when when is it that you run into the federal game warden? And you have your discussion. When is it that you run into the federal game warden? You have a discussion about the case. Was it? it this was that? Um, after probation. The deal was after when they probation. Out, they, yeah, when they uh, once I got out, once I got out, served my time. Uh, they had taken a laptop, all my videotapes, and they had taken all this stuff of mine. You know, confiscated it. Well, the part of the deal was that when I made the deal to do the two-year or the 13 months and $100,000, part of that was that I get all that stuff back. Well, they wouldn't let it loose until I got out, okay? So that was a big concern of mine. I wanted all my stuff back. So they gave everything back. They gave everything back. Well, no, once I made the deal, it wasn't when I got out. As soon as I made the deal, when I went into prison, they supposed to give it back. Well, they gave everything back to my attorney, but... Two tapes. So we had a count of them. They had a count of them. Everything. I kept two tapes. And after going through the, I already knew in my head which two tapes it was. Remember, I told you when they were at my place hunting, and I had two guys filming them when I left, and they were hunting right. with my son-in-law and all this. And I was trying to prove that they didn't shoot these birds. Okay, that's the two tapes that I never got back. Never got to see. Uh. So they're not giving these tapes up. So my attorney says, well, we can get them. We fight forever. It's going to cost you a fortune to get them back. Is it really worth it? And I said, no, what am I going to do with it, you know? And so I can't afford to fight it, you know, to show what the, you know. So they kept calling, this one undercover guy, this federal agent, kept calling to come get them. Uh, or to me to sign off. I had to sign off a paper, and I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't sign off that they could keep those two tapes, and I wouldn't do it. So it's causing a lot of problems with them, you know. So... I wouldn't go to itch, you know, I wouldn't go scratch or itch, you know, I didn't care when they got it, so he'd call. At one time, I think he made a, poor guy made a trip all the way from Iowa down here for me to get my signature, but I wasn't there that day. I was just, I didn't, you know, I missed him somehow. And so he come back again, and finally I'm like, heck with it. I'll just go sign off. So I wasn't at my shop, and he was at my shop in St. Louis, and... He said, well, I got to go back to Iowa. Is there anywhere I can meet you? Yeah, I told him where to meet me at a gas station. So, anyway, I... Uh, so, you could station. you could fight them, get a ruling on a ruling that you already had. That sounds about like some dumbass government crap. Excuse my well, language. Well, I'm I sorry. Have, you know, I'm so sick right of the government these back. days. But they kept two tapes. And I could have fought it. And probably eventually got two tapes, but like my lawyer said, you're going to get two tapes back that there's going to be nothing on those tapes. You know, you're fighting for two blank tapes. So they'll erase them, break them, cut. You'll get them back. But probably sure. something happened to them in shipping, you know. And he Good said, so night. you're just going to fight it for nothing. So anyway, i got to sign off on these things. So I meet this guy. And boy, the anxiety's up, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm like, oh, last guy in the world I want to see is this guy. So anyway, he calls up and said, uh, you know, hey, Jeff, this is and my, my, well, Drew Ward called me. Uh, my guy at work for me called me. He said, hey, this game warden's here. wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh, boy, say we got something fine. He goes, hey, Jeff's Justin Mays. I said, you're a long way from home. He said, yeah, man, I just now come to your shop. I need you to sign off on these tapes or whatever. I said, well, I ain't there and I ain't going to be there for a while. 
said, you're going to have to stick around and do something. He said, well, I'm on my way about where you at. And I said, well, where are you at? I said, I, if you're coming at, come up 60, route 61, I'm gonna have, I'll meet you so-and-so at the gas station up here. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, I'll be there. I pull in uh, to the gas station. He's in that, remember that old, I, I, I forget what kind of truck it was. It was a truck he drove all the time. He came to my place and still had it. And he pulls in and uh, gets out. This He was dressed like any of us, you know, like normal. He goes, hey, man, how are you doing? I said, well, better now. And uh, I was friendly to him. You know, we like it. He was the one I told you. It was the undercover guy. Pushed all the stuff and did everything. But he was never. He never was a butthole to me. You know what I'm saying? He never was. He was always a lot of them. Like the guy in Springfield that wrote that article in there. I can't think of his name. Uh, these, these guys were just complete. There was 99 percent of them were just complete butts. You know, I guess that's how they're trained to do. But this guy wasn't. So anyway, I was a decent guy. I said, well, "How are you doing?" All he said, "I said, I started to sign the thing, and I said." Why, why do you want these tapes? As his part of investigation, I said, you and I both know why you want them tapes. I said, whatever. And so I signed the thing, and I went to hand it to him. I said, before he started to grab it, I kind of pulled it a little bit. I said, you got to tell me something. Why did you do this to me? Why did you go through all this and do this? Put me in federal prison, 100000 ruined my whole life, my career, ruined everything. He, he took everything I ever worked, worked for so hard. The only chance I had... And why did you why did you do this? Why didn't you just write me a ticket? You know? He said, looked at me and he said, I know. I know exactly where you're coming from. I get it. He said, but we're gonna one way or the other, we're gonna stop two things. We're gonna stop party hunting and we're gonna stop the guide shooting hunters' birds. And I said, And you think this did it? And he goes, Well, I sure hope so. He said, I hope by, you know, a lot of people learn from this. And I said, I hope a lot of people do, too. I don't want anybody to go through that. I said, isn't that a little, didn't you think this was a little extreme? You know, you went to a lot of stream, and you spent $2.55 million for this? And I said, this is something neither one of these, as bad as you may want it, you ain't never going to stop. You're not going to stop this. And I don't even know how you're going to catch somebody to that. But you're never going to stop. I said, the only way you're going to catch somebody is if you do what you did there and go to their friends and threaten them, you know, with prison or self or whatever, you know, and scare them half to death and get them to say, yeah, he shot the iceberg. I said, you're not going to stop this, Justin. And he said, well, we're sure going to try. And he said, man, wow. I hope everything works out good for you and blah, blah, blah. And he was real super nice. And where he went, and guess, and, and get this, when he left, in the back of his truck sticker. Now, he's halfway out of the gas station, and I just glance. And I used to make a sticker, a uh, sticker, and I had, Bill might remember from years and years, these were years ago, a little round dog sticker, had a dog on it, and had flames coming off each side. It looked like angel wings, like, but it was flames come off. Sold a ton of them like that. I remember that. And, and, it, it was a, and it, I sold small ones, big ones, or whatever. And I looked on the back of that window, and I swear, that was that sticker on back that window. <laughs> now I'm guessing he, he probably got one from Lisa or somebody bought one, you know, to put on the truck to make things look even better when he was there. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I'm sure that's worked, you know, but but I thought, well, at least he's advertising. <laughs> Man. So that was the last time I seen any of them and the last time a lot then I had to go one more time at the very end and see the probation officer and and get cleared, and I was done, and you know, and that. So, yeah. So, anyway, so I, 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 I think that, that I, I, I want everybody to 
not only just hear what you had to say, but listen to what you just said. They were trying to utilize your case to end party hunting. I don't know if they were trying, now, from my point of view, when you say that, I don't know if they were trying to use it as case law or if they were, all right, this is just the example that we're setting through the, by huge publicity to end this. But if you don't understand what party hunting is, it's you and your buddy sitting in the timber shooting ducks mm-hmm. together. Yep. They're party hunting. Yeah. They, want you, they want you to go sit like at a deer stand and duck hunt. It's, that's that's it's the preferred way for them. It's what everybody that's ever hunted with more than, more than just himself has done since duck hunting started and will tell it ends. It, if you uh, are taking turns shooting and picking up the ducks one at a time, putting them on your strap, and you're the only person who shot, you have party hunted, period. And unless you've got a pretty prestigious club where there's a lot of ducks and all that, and you can do that, it ain't going to happen. Nope. So, so that ain't going to happen. So anyway, so that's this what he said. But, um, you know, I... Is it, you know, when you go through that and you listen to it, you think, okay, so you went through this for all these reasons and all this. And I get why the investigation started when they first got told that, um, you know, he's running drugs and he's doing this and all that, you know. And now we've already spent this. We got a little mud on our face because we didn't check into this more before we went through all this. To me, that's when it should have just wrote a ticket and said, you know, you got a ticket for party hunting. You got a ticket for this here, that there. You know, and left it. But you know what's when I cross. I just crossed it the other day, going to Rogers, and I crossed that bridge a mile and a half from where my duck club was. And there's a hotel right on the riverbank where they stayed. Every time I cross that, I just think I drove a mile and a half with a duck and crossed this bridge and got right here for a lacy act. If you tell me that ain't entrapment, yeah, but it, but it's not. But you know, in my eyes, it was. But whatever. The long story. Let's. Well, let's go go to if we got enough time, I want to go to the end, you know, the rest of this. If that's all right. And to well, me we're about we're about fifteen over right now, but go ahead. Well, this is too important to leave out and whatever. So the name of this is redemption. So I told you that when I was in there I read that Bible all the way through. And I kept thinking the whole time I was in there, man upstairs had to put me in here to, or allow to put me in here to straighten me up. There's no way they put me in here for ducks. To this day, I believe that. I, I don't believe I got put in there for that reason. I think he allowed all that to happen for a reason. And when I got out, my good buddy Kevin Fox told me, he said, he said, you know, Donnie Handled out here, the Southern Baptist preacher up here, he said, it was a good friend of mine, uh, but I didn't go to church there. He said, Donnie prayed for you all the time while you were gone. I go, what? Yeah, he prayed for you all the time when you are gone. I said, really? So he just built a new church close to my house, and I thought, man, I ought to go see him. But here I'd been a Catholic, and I'd come back, and I went to Catholic church, and of course you'd been divorced, and if you know anything about Catholics, you know you're kind of a, you know, you're not a black sheep, but you sit in the back and you can't go to communion. You can't do none of this stuff, you know, unless you pay for it, uh, no, and I didn't, that, you know, I didn't go for all that. But anyway, 
I just didn't feel right. So I thought, I'm going to go see Donnie. Just go to his church just to be. And, and it took everything in the world for me to walk in that church. Because after coming out of prison and all this, I thought, man, these people are going to judge me. And I, and I thought, but I owe this man. So I go across the street. I could have walked there from my house when I walked in that door. And people come to me with arms open, everything. And that started something. And so Donnie said, called me one day after that, thanked me for coming to church, and said, can I come up to your shop? And I said, sure, I'd like to talk to you. So, All right, he comes up there, and he said, "Starts uh, talking to me, and he said, have you been saved? You know, and I said, somebody else asked me that. I said, there was a, there was a lady here a while back asked me if I'd been saved, and I said, Saved from what? A grizzly bear? A shark attack? Or what? He said, no, you've been saved as a Christian. I said, I don't know. I'm a Catholic. Catholics don't do that. You know, they get baptized and go through all that. And so I want you to talk about So he told me. He said, I could do this right here. Long story short, I said, no, i got to think about this. So I thought about it. And anyway, something just hit me, which I'm not trying to turn this into a religion program. I just tell my story. And something just hit me, and I'm going to go do this. So that next Sunday, I went to church, walked up the aisle, and got saved out there, you know, that day. And something came over me at that time that I've never felt before in my entire life. And I just didn't get it, didn't understand it, whatever. And then he said something about, well, we got to get baptized, you know. He said, you're going to get baptized sometime. And I said, well, I was baptized. Catholic, no. We're gonna, he said, you want to get – I said, the only way I'm going to do this, we do it in Mississippi River where I hunt all the time. So – it was a little chilly by the time we did it, but I went, that's where I did it. I went to Mississippi River, got baptized after that. And uh, then, for some reason, that year, I won't drag this on long, but, but they talked about having a mission trip. So in the meantime, I really get into church. And now I'm playing in a praise band. I play drums. I'm playing in a praise band. I'm playing. I'm going to all these. I'm traveling all the time. So I'm hitting a church everything. I am so just intrigued by all this that I, I'm trying to soak up everything I can as religion. I'm reading the Bible all the time, doing all this. So anyway, I hear him talking about going on a mission trip to Costa Rica. Who wants to go? Well, that's about two weeks into the deal. I just went. I said, hey, Donnie, can I talk to you a minute? Yeah. I said, I said, can I go on that trip? Well, sure. You want to go? I said, yeah. He said, well, good. We need a drummer. I said, we need a drummer. Well, we got an electronic set of drums with a guitar player here. We go around. What do we do on this thing? So long story short, made the plans and, I head to Costa Rica with eight other people. So I have no idea what we're going to do, how to do this, whatever. So what we ended up doing, we get there and great group of people. And you go around and talk to people about Jesus Christ, walked a million miles. And we didn't stay in the best, in a nice hotel, but best areas. I mean, walk coffee mountains, you know, up in the, you know, and seen some unbelievable stuff, talked to some unbelievable people. We had a translator with us all the time. So three days into this, Donnie goes, all right, I got to come and talk to you tonight. All right, he said, uh, I need you to do me a favor. I said, What's that? He said, We're going to a prison tomorrow. I go, What? We're going to go talk to the prisoners tomorrow, and I want you to go. And if you can, I want you to talk to him. I said, This guy ain't going to a prison anyway. I don't want to see one. I ain't going to. No. And so this took a lot. I mean, think about this. So finally, I laid there that night and thought about it. And I thought, I'm getting called to do this for a reason. I don't know why, but I'm starting to get this. You know, I used to say, everybody said, well, God told, Jesus told me to do this. God told me to do this, you know, and direct that. What do you do? Send you a text message? I didn't get any of this stuff. So anyway, so 
said, all right, Donnie, I went over that night and I said, I'm going to go. Said, all right, man. But what are we going to do? I'll show you when we get there. So we walk, pulled up to this prison. Now, Costa Rica, these South American prisons, they ain't the Taj Mahal either. This is a bad. This is, ain't good. This is like as bad as it gets. So, and they're not nice. So they don't look like a prison you see around here. Oh, man, I cure it ain't. Uh-uh. So we pull up this prison. I got this little electronic set of drums, and I'm taking this here. And it's really cool. You can hit all the same stuff on it. It's really cool. The guitar player, but we're going to play for him and all that. We started heading for the gate, and I mean, my stomach is upside down. I mean, so we get in the gate, we go in, and the guy frisked me, and I heard them bars slam behind us when we went in. I thought, oh, my God, here we go again. So in we go into this gymnasium. So we go in there and they hook our stuff all up to their PA system and all that. Here starts coming all the prisoners in. And it was probably 120, something like that. And they don't wear uh, like greens or orange or whatever. They've just got street clothes on. Whatever they come in there with, that's what they got. That's what they wear. So we go in and I'm just reliving everything in my mind and body, and I'm just wanting out of there and getting, I, I'm probably sweating, you know. But anyway, so me and this guy play, and we play music. They're loving it, you know. It was like all new Christian, you know, new age Christian music, you know, we're playing. So they're loving it and getting into the stuff, you know. And so um, then Donnie gets up and talks. Now, my preacher buddy and one of my best friends in, in the world, Donnie, a preacher, Southern Baptist is the guy, the goal, and in my life, he's the golden child. I mean, he married his high school girlfriend. Everything he's ever done in his life is a Christian way, number one. You know what I'm saying? This is the yeah. guy. So this is not, so he's up there talking, and I'm sitting there listening going, they ain't getting out of this, you know. So very soon as I have Jeff talk to you. He can probably talk to you guys better than I am. So I said, oh, my God, now i got to talk to these guys. Well, the anxiety just left me. I had this translator here. And if you did, you ever try to talk to somebody and then have a translator translate what you're saying? That's tough. Yes. You got to wait till they get done. That's tough to do, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but I did it. So I got into the deal and all this. Got talking to him, all that, and so I start going and I went to prison and did this here. And all, you can see him starting to listen. And I tell him about going in the hole, fifty-four days in the hole, and, and they just looked at me. Now I've got their attention. And when I started telling them things that happened in the hole, they knew I wasn't BSing them. You know, I was telling them what happened. You know. And I said I've got the Bible. We read the Bible, and I said the only thing you know, and all that. And I said in all that time you know, it was worth it for me to, you know, to find God and come to a different life. And I said, I'm not by far, I have got so much work done. I'm just a work in progress. And I said, but I'm, at least I'm headed in the right direction. And uh, so we got all done with the whole thing. And the whole time, every time I'd say something about the whole or something, do something, I'd say something funny and they'd clap and it's a hundred some people. So at the end of it, I said, I'm not the guy that can do this, but my preacher down here can. I said, boys, you get out of here. you got another life ahead of you. I said, and, and the ones that's in here forever, the best is yet to come. I said, so the only way you're going to do that is get saved, you know, in, uh, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. I said, all you got to do is come down here and see this man devote your life. At that time, 75 to 80 of the 100 come down and got saved right then. And right that minute. That's unbelievable if anybody in the Christian community out there knows what this is. 75 to 80 of them did it right then. The translator is over here talking to a guy in a walker, great big guy. Older guy, he's in a walker, big guy. And he's talking to that guy, and I see him staring at me, and the translator motioned me to come over there. I go over there, 
and this guy has been in there for he was in there for killing a Catholic priest who he caught stealing from the church. And once he got in there, he got raped as soon as he got in there. And he got raped again. And well that's all and so he killed one of those guys. So he's in there for good. And then his family had all died. He had nobody left. And this guy's got tears coming out of his eyes. And find out later it's one of the toughest guys in this prison. And he looked me right in the eye saying this, and he translated to me, and he said, before they come to get him to bring him out for this deal we did, he had saved up pills from the pharmacy there and all this and had them all ready, and he's getting ready to off him and say, he's going to kill himself right then. And he said, I was just getting ready to swallow him. I've had him hid forever. And the guard come and said, you need to come to this deal right now. I'll get in here. So I thought, well, I'll go do this deal, whatever. I'll do it when I get back. Put his pills down, come over there. He said, I was going to kill myself. My plans were when I come back, I hit them. They're under my bed. I'll tell them where they're at. He said, but uh, I'm not going to do that now. He said, I'm going to go meet Jesus Christ, and I'm going to meet you in the next world. And I almost just melted at that point. And another kid there had been a gangbanger over there. He was going, you know, he had 20 years. He said, man, I'm devoting everything. I got Jesus Christ right now. And I had a hat on. And he wanted that hat. And so I gave him the hat. I said, the only way you're getting this, I got to see you in the next world, you know. And uh, so long story short of all these 18, 19 episodes of all that, if all that crap I went through, all the hurt, the heartache, the money, the everything it was, if all that come down to save that one man's life, it was all worth every second of it. So sure. that's how the redemption part of this ends. So in my at the end of this, the good Lord did this to straighten me out. You know, he did you know, and, and now I can witness to people like you're supposed to. And now I've got a story to tell that will you know that that hopefully will save a lot of people. And hopefully during this podcast, somebody hears this and thinks real deep and hard about that, gets their life on the right track, and let Jesus Christ be your Savior. And I'm a long way from being a preacher. None of that. But I know what we got to do and what it is. The next next one's going to be way better. We're just here for a short time. And eternity is eternity. So you can have flames on you and follow the devil. Or you can have eternity with Jesus Christ and and the best life ever. So that's what it took for me to get there. Because when I was there, when I was in this, when I was in this state, when I was in making a million and a half a year and rolling and everywhere you go. And like you said, you know, the biggest star across the country and the waterfowl world, all this stuff and people want autograph, all this stuff. I had everything I ever wanted, financial, anything. That stuff I never dreamed I could have. I didn't need. I didn't think I need Jesus Christ. What did I need to go to church for? Why did I need to listen to all this? I didn't have to. So he made. You know, he straightened me out. He brought me down. And you ever talk about rock bottom? That's what he did. He took me to rock bottom, and I'll show you. If you don't think he's a king and ruler, he'll show you tomorrow. He took me to rock bottom, and I'm trying to build my way back up. So. It's all about redemption. Wow. Hey, Jeff, as you look back, 
right now. Turn around and look in the past. If you could go back and make one change that changed your path, get off course, what would it be? <laughs> well, if it wasn't for Cole, I wouldn't have married that guy. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll never regret whatever I had to go through to have him. But um, uh, I don't know if one thing would have done it, you know, but the one thing I should have done, you know, was, was did what I did at the end, you know, if I would have just kept going to church, kept following the Lord, kept doing what I should have been. It's not that I quit believing him. I just wasn't involved in it. You know, I mean, it's, you know, was, uh, I was one of them kids that was raised up and, and, uh, had to, had to go to church and made to go to church, went to Catholic, had to go to, you know, Catholic school and all this stuff here. And, uh, I didn't like it. So, uh, did I believe in it? Yeah, but not to the in-depth because well, to start with, you know, Catholics aren't taught to read the Bible, you know. I mean, I never was. You know, they didn't read the Bible. They just read it to you. So until I did that, you know, uh, I probably would have done that, you know, would have been the first thing. That would have helped me on, had me on the right path. But there's, like, several things, you know. I mean, uh, I wouldn't have threw myself into it as far as I did, you know. I I knew what it took, and I wouldn't have hunted for five months and filmed for five months. And, and when you got that kind of pressure and you let that pressure get to you, man, it's tough. It's a tough world living right there. So that's, uh, you know, I don't know if I answered your question, but it would have been a lot of things. But uh, what would, what, it, it, knowing what you know now, let, let, let's say this, knowing what you know now and who you are today, and you could go back and give Jeff Foles in 99, 2000, give him some advice. What what would it be? What I mean, what would you tell him? Uh, don't think you're invincible for one. Um, you get to a certain level, and I think you think you're because everything you do turns to gold, and and I think you think you're invincible for one. And uh, what I did was is like I've done with everything my entire life. When I throw myself into something, it's a hundred percent, hundred and ten percent, and that's what I did. And I would have said, slow down. Take a deep breath, and probably the first thing I would have done was hired somebody to manage me, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, I think Freddie will tell you that, Zink, any, anybody in this business, you know, the problem is is they everybody wants you, but you really need somebody to manage you, you know, because you're getting stretched in a million different ways, and... I got stretched in too many ways. And then, you know, as far as these, you know, as the charges and all that go, yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done, uh, I'd be more like I am today. You know, I wouldn't have got, uh, I wouldn't have been in this, just got to kill him, got to kill him, got to kill him, you know, but I was just in my blood and, um, I probably wouldn't have went after it so hard. Those days we had those five, six, seven days a year, where you can kill them and we, you know, I'd shoot somebody else's limit or whatever. I definitely would never even think about doing that, you know, and I wish, you know, but I'm not so sure if I wouldn't have done that, there would have been anything anyway, you know, cause that ain't, I mean, it wouldn't have happened anyway cause they, it wouldn't start and didn't end about that. You know, it started over the, the them thinking I'm doing drugs and hauling drugs over everybody, what she said. And then, 
it it ended with two federal game wards. I got their tickets, you know, for them hunting and saying they shot party hunting and shot over and took one across. The, I don't know if I could have stopped that. You follow what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. right. I don't know if that could have ever been stopped. You know, I think, you know, and and through this, you know, I've threw them under the bus a lot. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not trying to throw them. I, they have a job to do. They have a job to do, and and I appreciate everything they do, and I and I know they put themselves in a lot of dangers. I mean, when they hunted with me, that's a lot of danger to put yourself in. You know, have they? Jeff, you know. Let me say one thing real quick, because uh, I've had people reach out and say, "Aren't you worried that you're upsetting the you know federal wardens and that sort of thing?" And I, you know, I, I certainly hope that's not the case with any of them. And what that guy told you that last day when he said, "We want to stop party hunting." What we've been doing right here, we've done their marketing to try to do that, to try to to educate people to limit mm-hmm. that. As you said, you can't end it. It's just with a big group, it's going to happen. But if people are more educated, they're not going to be as flagrant. They're not going to uh, take it lightly, if you will. So, well, I don't. Uh, I don't have any problem with with. Um... I have zero problem with, with, with them doing their job. I have respect for them. I don't, it's not disrespect for them. It's none of that. The, the part that upset me is, is a lot of it is how they go about it. And I guess the most part about me was pull the truck over and write me a ticket. You catch me doing something, write me a ticket. I'll, Officer, I'm, you know, I did wrong. I hear, yeah, I pay the fine. I go to court. Whatever we got to do. Don't do it. You know, don't do all this. And then you shoot over, or say you shot over, you do this or do that. I mean, that, to me, that is just, I don't know. That I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just don't think that part was right. You know, and, and the officer, the, the Justin Mays guy was doing what he, that's his job and that's how they do it and whatever. But at least out of all them guys, of all them guys, he was a decent human being. You know, he 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 didn't he did what he had. I didn't agree with how he did it or what he did. Some of the things, but the whole time he was there during the case, after whatever, of all of them, he was a decent human being. It's not that hard to be that way. You know, uh, I'd have to say somewhere deep down he's a Christian man somewhere. You know, and and uh, and some of them. We're just the biggest a-holes in the world, you know, and, and I, there's no reason for that, you know. That's the part that, uh, uh, you know, that there's several bunch of this that really hurt, but but at the end of this, again, my preacher told me, he said, you got to forgive them, and I read in that Bible. If I've read about forgiveness in a Bible, I've wore those pages slick, and you got to do it. You ain't going to get there if you don't. And when I sat and thought about this, and again, I'm not trying to be a preacher. I'm just telling you what's in my mind. And when I sat and thought about this, and I thought, that man died, beat him, didn't have a bone that wasn't broke, beat him to death, drove, drove nails through his hands, and left him hanging. He can do that and forgive. And the last words he said was, is, Father, forgive them for what they've done. If he can do that, I can forgive them all. And so I was really good with forgiving the whole bunch. I prayed for him. I've done whatever, did what he was supposed to. And I went to my preacher. I said, now that I'm doing this, do I got to go see these people 
and talk to him? No, you ain't got to do this. You forgive him in your heart. And really, you know, he said, so I finally did that, and it set me free. Now it's, they got, you know, it's on their shoulders. So do I want to go see him, talk to him? Heck no, I never want to run into him. I don't want to have to be, you know, that's just like last weekend. Big Sean's there at every one of these contests. I could let that eat me alive. It's got to be eating him live, worse than me. Do I want to talk to him? I don't want to say anything to him. Did he blow in the contest and I judged him exactly the way I thought it should be and give him good or bad or whatever? I did, you know, give him good scores and one time I gave him a bad one because that's the way it was. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not trying to, and please don't think I'm trying to say I'm holier than now and now better, you know, but I've just changed my life. So open my eyes to a lot of things. Hey, hey, Jeff, I know that we said that this was the last week. Let me ask you if you're open to this. This thing has been so big for so long now. There there are tons of people that, that have questions. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think next week in place of a podcast we could possibly do a Facebook Live where you do like a Q&A with all the people that's been listening to this sure. series? Sure. Yeah, and I'm all about that. I'm all about that, guys, as long as it's serious questions, no jabs, no whatever, and I will answer them any way you want. And, uh, you know, I will answer them to just I'll tell you the truth, tell you what it was. I don't want no jabs, funny stuff, Facebook crap like you've seen here in the last deal, you know, hatred stuff and all that, but I'll ask you to answer anything, you know, and that's, that's no problem. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many questions that, you know, I get all the time from people, man. I mean, are you going to do this like on Duck South? Yes, yes. I'm going to put it through Duck South and a couple of other groups, share it Mm -hmm. there. And, you know, we'll we'll sit back and talk. And as we get questions, they may have questions for Bill, me, you, especially you, of course. But we'll we'll answer those as they they come through the Facebook Live. I think that'd be pretty cool to do because it's been so big. There's so many people listening to this podcast i think it'd be a great way you know for the, the final mm-hmm. bang the the the, the what, do you, what do you call it at the fireworks show where you've got the finale yeah the very last yeah yeah, yeah. yeah the, the big finale big finale so there's only one other thing and i suggested this earlier and um i'd have to make sure I know which day, when we were going to record and everything. There's only one other thing I think would be kind of cool to add was, uh, uh, is my attorney, you know, oh, to, yeah. and I think he would put a light on this, a whole different light on this and tell you more about this case, how it went and why and all that there. Cause he, he can tell you in a lawyer's point of view, but he's also a duck hunter and, um, you know, and he runs a duck club and a, and a deer hunting club. So he's a hunter himself. And that's what makes him such a good, um, you know, attorney, at, you know, in conservation, he, he, he does a lot, he does a tons of all different kind of attorney work, but he's just right across from me over here. And I know he would do this. I talked to him before, but he would give you, uh, and the reason I'm saying this is when I had a writer, it was on write the book and we went in to, uh, talk to him about this. Cause he has all those community pleas, all the case, everything about it. You know, he still has that in his office, you know, upstairs. And, um, when he talked to that writer and told him about the case and his perspective, you know, after the fact, that put a whole new perspective in my mind. So that may be something there 
that will help these hunters as much as anything is listen to that attorney tell this case plus you know um dating laws and stuff like he, he's got this stuff inside now the legal end of it you know so i, I think, I think be that'd be great because people do need you know there, there's just so much disinformation out there it, it's right and yeah. uh and he would tell you you know he, he would also tell you what to do when you're approached by him, you know, and when this has happened, because it, we all know, I don't care if it's a police officer comes up to your car or a, uh, no matter what it is, or, or a game word, just look up and here comes two game words coming. It, the first thing is an intimidation and that, that uh, frantic moment, you know, that you have and feeling inside when you see this or do it. And I think he would put um, a big light on what to do at that situation, you know. So, and tell you about this case at the same time. So, well, I tell you what we'll do. Everybody that's listening to this, we will let's all three get together Wednesday. I mean Sunday night. I'll send a group text to you guys. We'll announce it Sunday night. What day that'll be? It'll probably be on uh, Wednesday. I, I'm just going to go on and say tell you it'll probably be Wednesday mid morning. That's kind of our recording time anyway. I mean, that good sound good preliminary to y'all? Sounds good. Sure. Sounds good. Sure. Okay. That's all good. Thing. All right, Bill, Jeff, thank y'all again. Great ending, kind of final chapter to this podcast series. We still probably, like I said, bring that lawyer in and talk with him, kind of finalize everything. But thank y'all again. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line Podcast. Power by DuckSouth.com.